Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Bernie Gallerani with Remax in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Last year, he closed 297 transactions with a total sales volume of $73 million. His average sales price was $248,000, of which 66% were buyers and 34% were sellers. He has a 12-member team, six buyer specialists, one closing coordinator, one listing manager, one marketing runner, one operations manager, one broker, and one listing agent team leader. Bernie Gallerani is the team leader of the Bernie Gallerani team. He's been an agent for 12 years and works the Metro Nashville market. In this call, Bernie talks about growing up with humble beginnings while living in assisted HUD housing, yet always believing he was destined for a better life. Getting a quick start in real estate and selling 34 homes his first year by focusing on prospecting and lead generation. Building a team that sold 297 homes last year. Personally listing and closing 101 sellers while the team helped 196 buyers. Staying in personal production to maximize net profits. Finding out if his team is truly profitable by splitting all revenues and expenses between his personal production and his team's production using the concept of strategic business units. Why he invested big in Zillow advertising after testing and tracking. Discussing Zillow reviews, promotions, conversion rates, and ROI. Discovering that Zillow AdWord leads are cheap but hard to convert. What he does to list expireds and how he adapted his approach in a super strong seller's market, including his scripts. How to rekindle past clients after years of ignoring them. What he did to receive one closing per 16 people in his past client and sphere of influence database within the first year of contacting them, including his annual marketing plan, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Bernie. Hi, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, Bernie, it's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Bernie, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Instead of talking about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I started selling real estate in January of 2005. And right before I got into this business, I actually lived in Las Vegas, Nevada. And my wife and I with our children lived out there for about 10 years. And Mike, I was in franchise sales. I used to work for a company, several different companies, but one of the main ones that I worked for was a company called PostNet, which was like a postal mailbox kind of et cetera kind of a deal. And I would sell their franchises for them to people around the country who would call in and inquire about a business. And I'd walk them through the small business process and see if it was a fit. And, and I did that for a couple of different companies, but that was one of the main ones. And so I did that until I made a decision to move to the Nashville area. And 
when I moved out here, I just made a decision at that point to get into the real estate business. And was there any impetus for you to get into the real estate business? Did you have a friend or family in the business? What made you go to the real estate side? You know, that's a really good question. Living in Las Vegas, I had a really good friend of mine that I used to work with in my other industry who had a friend that was in real estate and did really well. And he was being coached by this guy who I never even heard of before by the name of Mike Ferry. And I always remember that name because the name Ferry is kind of a weird last name, right? So I thought, man, if this guy can make this kind of money selling real estate, I might be doing the wrong thing here. So when my wife and I made a decision to change and move into a completely different market, we didn't really know anybody out here in Nashville. We just wanted a change of pace. We wanted to get our kids in a different school system and have a different environment than the West Coast, which is where I was raised my whole life. So I came out, decided to get into real estate and was pretty good at sales my whole life. So I went on the internet, looked up this Mike Ferry guy to find out more about what he was all about. And, and the rest of its history, I got in the real estate business and off I went. That very first year, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I did really well when I first started. I'll tell you what I did was I, again, I knew nothing about real estate. I was from the West Coast. I talked really fast. I'm Italian, so it's already in my DNA to talk fast, right? So being in the South is a little slower, a little more Southern draw. And I just really, Mike, I got to tell you, I didn't fit in well with my sales approach. And so I was a little intimidated by that in the beginning and thought I would sign up with Mike. And so what I did, I had gotten a real estate license in Nevada. I never sold any real estate with it. So I transferred that license in which I never sold any homes or anything with it in Nevada, but I transferred that license to Tennessee. And based on that time, there was a lot of transfers coming out of Nevada. People were moving out of the state at that time. And, and so it took about four months for my license to get transferred and to take my state exam up here. So I had a lot of time to just screw around with my wife and we bought a new house out here. And, and so, uh, I spent some time on the internet just kind of looking for a coach and found Mike. And, and so I started off quickly, though. One of the things Mike Ferry organization, the MFO organization, taught me was to go out and chase these expired and for sale by owners. So my first year in the business, I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody in this town. So all I did was spend the time calling expired and for sale by owners in and around neighborhoods. And I sold 34 houses my first year. And at that time, you know, I'm like, okay, this is pretty good stuff. And it's an interesting story. I went from listing a for sale by owner in February, which I was pretty excited about for 4%. And then I listed one in March for 4%. And I thought, okay, well, I got two for sale by owners. And then I started calling expireds and my business really took off. And then I think it was somewhere right around the middle or end of May, I looked at my board and I had like $35,000 in commissions pending. And I was whoa, that's more money than I ever made in my franchise business in one month. I knew I was onto something. So I got really excited and motivated that if I did this and could have 35000 pending in one month, why couldn't I do it every month? And so, yeah, I was very motivated to start off with. Prospected and lead generated and knocked on doors and I worked a lot of hours, but I have found something that would allow me to make a tremendous amount of money and I was on my way. So yes, I started off quickly, but I was super motivated. Let's fast forward up to today. Let's talk about last year. What were your production numbers? How many homes did you sell? What was your sales volume last year? In 2016, I closed 297 properties. 
And I believe that was 73 million in total volume sales. Do you recall what the GCI was? My GCI was 2.3 million. How many years have you been in the business? 12 years. I'm in my 13th year now. Where is Hendersonville, Tennessee? Hendersonville is about 18 miles north of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I live in a little small suburb, about 60,000 people in my, the town I live in. I work out of two offices, one here and one on the other side of town, an area called Brentwood. I work in that area a couple days a week and in this area a few days a week. My home is here in Hendersonville, but the money's over in the Nashville Brentwood market. So I travel quite a bit each week into those markets to sell. But I do all my prospecting and lead generating from the Hendersonville office. And then two or three days a week in the afternoon, I drive to the other side of town and work that market also. So it sounds like you're working the entire Nashville Metroplex. That's correct. Yep. Nashville and all the markets surrounding it is my area. Do you know what the population is there in the Nashville metro area? There's just over a million people. Could you describe your current real estate market? Yeah, well, Nashville is one of the hottest markets right now in the country. I don't know if you've heard that or not. I think other than Texas, I think Dallas and uh, parts of Texas, Nashville is the second largest growing real estate market in the country today. With that being said, The challenge with that is low, low, low inventory, very difficult. You know, I told you when I started this conversation that I spent my life really working early in real estate on expired. Well, those are typically almost non-existent today, right? There's not a ton of those out there. So we are doing all sorts of other activities to try to create business. But the average sales price for my team is about 280,000. My personal average sales price is about 375. And even this year, I'm starting to work more into the above 400 range. So I don't really call or prospect anything outside of 400,000 and up just because I'm looking for more opportunities on those expireds and FISBO side that are not selling. So hot market, lower price points under 300,000 in my area, under 400 or 500,000 in the Williamson County area. However, really focusing today on those higher price points because those are the ones that are sitting out there in the market not selling, and they need great agents like myself to help them get those sold. I want to talk about your lead generation. And my understanding, top three lead generation sources right now are internet leads around 52%, your sphere of influence around 37%, so repeat and referral, and expired last year was around 20%. Let's jump into each one of those. First, let's talk about internet leads, what you're doing there. What are you doing with leads that are coming off the internet? What are the sources and what are you doing with them? Sure. So in order for me to tell you why I'm doing this and what they are all about, let me backtrack a little bit if I can. Sure. Okay, perfect. So when I decided to build my team, everything at that point was just myself and a buyer's agent. I needed someone to basically handle my sign calls so I could spend all my energy and effort working on listings. Well, as I hired an agent or two to handle all that business, the industry changed a bit. What I mean by that is it used to be a few years back where somebody would go up to a sign, they would dial that number, and they would be able to call my office or one of my team members and get information about that property. But we noticed as the years went on that that was becoming less and less. People were going in front of those houses, but they were pulling up things like Zillow and Trulia and Realtor.com to find out that information. They weren't even calling the sign as much any longer. So 
we decided at that point we were going to start doing some marketing. So let me answer your question. The online marketing that we're doing is our, most of the budget that we spend is on Zillow. I'm spending about 260000 bucks a year on that. We were doing some Realtor.com for a short time. That wasn't as lucrative for us on our ROI, so we've cut that out. We do have some Google AdWords that we do about a 2% return on our lead flow on that one. So that one's a big one for us. So mainly AdWords, Zillow are our main sources. We still get sign calls and then Google organic stuff. So we get lots of organic leads that come in now just based on our placement on Google that we don't pay for. Let's dive into each of those. First of all, you said Zillow. You're investing quite a bit each year, 260000 That's a big chunk of change, over 20000 a month. What are you doing on Zillow? Well, one of the things that we're doing is obviously like a lot of the agents that are on Zillow, so we're marketing in certain specific zip codes. And Mike, that was a really interesting challenge to wrap my mind around that kind of money. And we have partnerships on the lending side that we work with that help us out on that side. However, you still have to come up with a lion's share of that money to put out in the marketplace to see a return. So like any agent, you know, I started off spending $1,200 and $1,500 and $1,800. And next thing it was two and three and four and 5,000 and so on and so forth. And I built it slow and I wanted to make sure that I had a return and there was a profit there. And I think the problem with a lot of realtors today, when they try things like Zillow, they don't really track the numbers like they should. They don't look at the rate of return. They spend too much money and then they don't focus on what that turnaround should be. So I would tell you this, that for us, Zillow has been a huge market for us, especially for my agents. And as long as we're coaching them at the highest level, giving them an expectation of rate of return of what we expect from the leads that they're getting in, hold everybody accountable for the job they need to do, it's extremely profitable for us, Mike, on our end. Let's break that down. It's a great point, the ROI. Let's talk about Zillow. It sounds to me like you're tracking this and breaking it out pretty good. Could you tell us how much revenue came in from Zillow last year or number of transactions? You told us how much it costs you. How much is coming in? I don't have that number in front of you, but I'm going to give you a guesstimation from looking at that stuff last year. Sure. So we received in the range of close to 700000 in GCI off of Zillow alone. That was total GCI. All of my lead sources, and I'll just tell you how this thing breaks down real quickly as overall business. My profit off that business team side, which is that marketing advertising dollar, is averaging somewhere in the range of about 34, 35% after all expenses and after all payouts, after all splits. When you say just the team side, you are excluding your own personal production? Correct. I have two companies. I have Bernie Gallerani sells houses, and then I have my team that sells houses. So everything is separate. Everything is built into two companies. I won't stop ever selling houses because it's the one thing I can count on. No matter what happens in this market, the one thing I know for sure is I'm going to get up every day and work the business that I've worked for 12 years, right? I'm the only dependable source within my team. So I know there's a lot of brokers and a lot of team leaders that don't do what I do. And that's okay. Mike Ferry asked me recently, about a month ago, he says, why do you keep selling? Which he encourages me to continue to do it. But he asked me, why do you keep doing it? I said, I'm really greedy to income. <laughs> and he laughed. And he says, well, that's a good thing to have. So what I'm saying to you is that 
my team is my side business. It's not my source of income in my mind. I am my source of income. My team business is my secondary business, and I'm just having fun with that. I'm playing around with that business at this point. Did I understand correctly? You actually have split them into two companies, two LLCs or somehow two different entities, the team and then you and your own personal production? Yeah, kind of. I think what we're doing is we've allocated a percentage of our company that the team uses. So the marketing, the advertising is all allocated towards the team side. 75 or 80% of the business, the bricks and mortar, the staff, everything involved with running the operation, 80% of that is expensed on the business team side. Okay. So how I did it was, let's say I'm selling 100 houses personally myself. So if I'm selling 100 houses, I need one listing manager, a closing coordinator, and a runner, right? So what I did was I took the amount of rent acquired for that business, and I allocated those expenses. And then how much of that staff that I'm using would actually be working with the team. So we cut out that expense and put that over into the column of the team side. The reason we did that, Mike, was because we really wanted to know, are we really making any money? You see, Here's the challenge. Let's say my average commission check is 10,000 bucks, right? And then my team brings in X amount of money. And all of a sudden we're looking at this going, okay, well, gosh, you know, this has been a really great profitable thing. But when you really look at it, when I'm not splitting with anybody, I'm getting 100% of the money minus my, let's say, 20% in expenses. Well, if I'm commingling those funds, my team could be very low in profit. I can be really high in profit. But as I commingle those funds, I make it sound like I'm doing really well. Right. And I wanted the business to stand on its own. So I can tell you right now, I'm looking at my numbers. So up through the month of March, which we just left, first three months, my team, not me, not Bernie Gallerani, but my team, we were at a 34% return on profit, full profit from the team. So that's how we look at our businesses. Can our team stand on its own? Does it make enough money? And the money that it makes, is it worth what we go through in order to continue to keep funding the business? And the answer to that is yes. It's working at that rate. I asked Mike about about five months ago, I asked Mike Ferry this. I said, if I'm running my team, GCI, how much profit should Bernie be putting in his pocket after all expenses on just the team side alone? And he said, you should have between a 28 and 31% return, complete return, pre-tax dollar in your bank account. Well, we're running a 34%. So that means that we're doing, we're exceeding what Mike says that we should be doing. And as long as we continue to keep running a 34%, then what we're doing is extremely profitable on that team side. How about your personal number, your personal production? Do you have what that is netting out for you? What percentage? Well, because I run at a very high profit on my company, my expenses on my company are about 20%. Okay, so you're around 80% net profit on the personal production that you're doing. Correct. Absolutely. Your concern was, and the reason that you did this, is you wanted to make sure that your personal production wasn't subsidizing your team, and it just it looked cool, but it wasn't actually making any money. Well, that's exactly right. So can I give you, Mike, a different example? I was recently at a Zillow conference in Orange County about a month ago. I had the opportunity to meet some really fantastic people that are running great businesses. And 
So I'd ask them, how many agents do you have? Well, I have 25 agents. I have 22 agents. I have 35 agents, whatever it was. And I'd say, okay, well, how much money did you make last year? They'll go, well, you know, my GCI was, you know, 1.8 million or whatever, 2.3 million, whatever it was. I'll say, well, how much did you personally make? I made 250. I made 350. I made 400. And I looked at that and went, that is, in my world, poverty. Why would you even run a company and make that kind of money when you can run it more lucrative? And what we did, Mike, and I think this is what separates us just a little bit from some other people. I know there's a lot of great people. I mean, I didn't make my system up. I learned it from other people, right? So, but what we learned was if we provide service and we provide high level of coaching and accountability, we could pay less and make more and still have all of our agents completely satisfied with the income they were earning. So what we do on our team is we require our first-year agents have to sell 24 houses to stay on the team. Our second-year agents have to sell 36 to stay on the team. So we make our money up through volume, which keeps our overhead down low, which makes our profits high. So we're just doing some different things. And as long as we continue to keep working this model, we can have 20 agents on our team but our profits will be extremely high through that process. Bernie, you brought up the team. Let's talk about the buyer agents and the compensation. You said you're paying less to make more, but they're making up on volume. Let's get into some hard numbers, if you don't mind. What kind of compensation program have you set up for your buyer specialists? Well, the buyer's agents make 50% of the transaction. Then they pay my team or my company a $495 commission broker fee. So that's an additional fee that they have to pay on every transaction. So I'm getting 50-50 plus a 495 broker commission. That's on the buy side. On the list side, they get anywhere from 15% to 35% as a max, depending on how that lead came in. So for example, if they have a listing they're bringing to the table, they get a 35% if it's their own COI, but not past client. If the past client from our team, so it's something that came in a year or two ago from a Zillow, a sign call, a past client that we refer to them, anything like that, they're going to range anywhere from 15 to 25% on that transaction. What makes the difference between the 15 and 25%? If they're working with a buyer and the buyer has a house that they want to sell. So for example, they go out, they get, take a Zillow call, let's say, they go out and show them properties in that particular buyer has a home to sell. They can give it to me and I'll give them 10% referral on it. They can take the listing themselves. They get 15%. And if they're a past client center of influence that they follow up on four times a year, and that person comes back two years later and says, I bought this house from you guys. I want to sell it again. And that agent is still working on my team. Then they'll get a 25% referral check at the close of that transaction. Oh, that's interesting. So 25% referral check, are they doing any work on that transaction? The only thing they do is go out and get the contract signed. My team handles everything from nuts to bolts from there. So the only thing my agents have to do, even on the buy side, is they show the properties, they write the contract, and then they send them to the closing department, and then they're done. So they don't have to do anything other than write the contract and negotiate it. Going back to the buyer side, you said it's 50%. Is that 50% no matter what the source of the lead was, no matter whether it came through the team or whether it came through the center of influence for the buyer agent? Correct. Yes. 50% across the board. 
Did you used to have it differently? Did it used to be varied and then you came to 50% or have you always been 50%? I've always been 50%. And I've had probably like a lot of agents, and I want to say this too, and that was I take pride in making sure that I give my agents many, 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 many more opportunities through our team effort than they could ever create on their own. So for example, if one agent selling 50 homes, and 10 or 12 of those are coming from their own past client center of influence, or let's just say their COI or friends or family. And then the other 40 are coming from efforts that we provided for them through our advertising and marketing. Okay. For some of your listeners here, a lot of broker owners and people that are running teams have asked me, well, if they bring this COI, why don't they get more? And of course, I get that question a lot, right? You would imagine. So here's how I say it is anytime an agent asks me, Am I going to get any more if I bring my own friends or family? I'll always say to them, Mike, well, what do you think is fair? And they'll say, well, I don't know, like, how about a 60-40 or a 70-30, right? And I'll say, great, I don't have a problem with that, so why don't we do this? I'll give you 60-40 or 70-30. If I give you a lead, I'll get the 70 and you'll get the 30. And they'll go, well, no, 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 that's not fair. And I'll say, sure, it's fair. If you're bringing me something and you want to do a 70-30, what if I bring you something on a 70-30? So what you find out is they really are okay with the 50-50. No matter how you break it down, you just have to say to them, you know, here's what I try to tell all the team members. It worked for you today, but it may not work for you tomorrow. This system may be with you forever, and it may not. And either way is okay with us. We have a full recruiting opportunity here. I have a full-time operations manager who runs the whole team. I don't really run it at all. I probably should tell you that. I prospect and lead generate just like any single agent would. I spend about four or five hours on the phone. I'm out on listing appointments every day. I door knock. I do all those things. So in order to run the team, I had to hire somebody to run the team for me. So that particular individual's name is Kurt. He handles all the recruiting, the training, the numbers, the coaching, and all of those things for the whole team. So Bernie can continue to keep doing what it is that I do. The buyer agents, you mentioned that they need to pay a $495 broker fee per transaction. Are they able to push that along to the buyer or do they need to pay that out of their 50%? 97% of the time, which is basically 100% of the time, they actually add that in because the buyer signs a, obviously an agreement to work with our team. And that fee is in there that the buyer is responsible for. They wrap that into closing costs typically when they write the offer. That money is actually coming from the seller side. And if for some reason it doesn't, the buyer pays it. And if the buyer bucks on it and upsets the agent a little bit and the agent feels uncomfortable, then the agent pays it. But it's always coming from some other source. So that's the incentive for the agent to get the buyer or the seller to pay it is if they don't get the buyer or seller to pay it, then the agent has to pay it. Correct. That's exactly right. And the reason I do that is if you put some math together, I collect it about 80% of the time. What I mean by 80% of the time is sometimes if they're a buy sell, I'll wave one side of it, that kind of thing, right? So my agent will come to me and go, hey, you know, I know you sold the house, now they're buying, they don't want to pay it again. Sometimes we'll wave it. So we calculate it on about 80% of the transactions. And so based on our transaction number, we'll collect about 100K a year on that, which goes all the way down to the bottom line. Do you also charge that broker fee on the selling side, on the listing side, to the sellers? Both sides of the transaction get it. 
and the same philosophy if the listing agent doesn't get the seller to pay for it, the listing agent is responsible for it. Correct. Very good. Thank you for walking us through that. You've mentioned that you're doing your own personal production. You had 297 closings last year. How many of those closings were your personal closings? I had uh, 101 listings sold and there was 196 buyer sales. So I'm sorry, your personal production was 101 listings? 101 listings. Okay. And then 196 buyer sales. Okay. And the buyer sales were typically done by the team members? Correct. I didn't work any buyers at all last year. I typically don't. You know, I might jump one every few years or something with somebody that I know that wants to work with me and it's literally writing a contract. I won't show properties or anything like that. But if it's like, hey, I want to write this up, every couple of years I'll get something like that where I'll just write it up and, you know, why pass it on when it's not needed to. But normally everything, every past client, every call gets pushed on to the buyer's team. Have you ever referred out buyer leads to someone outside of your group? Did you do that in the beginning? It sounded like you brought in a buyer agent right away to start running the buyer side. My first four months in the business, I hired my first buyer's agent. One of the things that I learned through the MFO system, my ferry organization, was don't work with buyers, only work with sellers. Sellers control the market. So, Mike, I got to tell you, I was really, I felt anyway, I wanted to be super coachable. So the coach that I had at the time through that system said, whatever you can do, stay away from buyers. If I was listing and selling a lot of properties early on. So most coaches might say to their client, you know, work those buyers so you can feed your family, but eventually wean away from the buyers and work mainly with the sellers. Well, because I had such early success in my business, I was able to bring in a buyer's agent right away because I was selling a whole bunch of listings. And so I brought one in after about four months and I've had a buyer's agent on the team since. That's allowed you to focus exclusively on the sellers, and that's how you were able to list and sell 101 listings, 101 sellers last year. Correct. Well, now let's go back to LeadSource. Now that you kind of mapped out the team a little bit for us, thank you for doing that. The 52% internet leads then, I assume most of that are buyer leads and they're for your buyer agents, the team side of the business. Exclusively, yeah. I would say that, and I'm, this is going to be a guess, but I'm going to say 90 92, 93% of everything that comes in off the internet is buyer related. And there are stuff that come off of Zillow and our market and some other markets. I know I've met some agents or talked with some agents that do really well, let's say on Zillow on the listing side. In my market, it's not really that powerful on the listing side. Now I do probably take, you know, six to eight or 10 of those listings per year that come directly off my Zillow or internet leads. But mainly what happens on those leads are buyers are inquiring about property. It sounds like what you told us earlier with Zillow, you spend about 260 a year. You're getting back about 700. So it's about a three to one return just on the top line. Can you give us a little more details about what you're doing inside of Zillow? What specifically are you doing to get those leads? Yeah. So for your listeners that don't know, and then if some that do, I'll just tell you it's really basic is you buy zip codes within the platform. And the lead flow that comes in basically is through A, advertising on other people's listings. So Zillow can sell their market 300 times, right? So every zip code can be sold 300 times. There's three agents that show up on that impression. And so I'm one of three, unless it's my own listing. If it's my own listing, I'm the only agent on there if it's one of three. So I then take zip codes that I want to receive leads from. So I cut out things that are lower price points 
things that aren't working for us as well. One of the things, Mike, I think that any agent who are considering this kind of a business has to understand that just because you advertise on Zillow, it's not all created equal. Every zip code is different. Some zip codes you're going to get a ton of leads out of and low conversion. Other ones you're going to get very low leads out of and low conversion. Some you're going to get a fair amount and high conversion. So it's really trial and error. Looking for the zip codes that work, mapping it every week, seeing how many you get out of that zip code, paying attention to what's converted. So what happens is we use a Boomtown platform. So as we market and advertise, those leads then dump into our Boomtown platform through a round robin, and it tells us where that lead actually generated from. So what zip code or area it's generated from, then my operations manager will come in and track that sale. And even if that sale came in from one zip code and those particular people bought in a different area, it still is calculated or credited towards the zip code it came in on. So we know how much money each zip code is bringing us. So I want to say this to your listeners, and I've learned this um, maybe the financially hard way, and that is you have got to track every lead, where it comes from, your ROI, what it's all about. Because if you don't, you could lose a lot of money. And I get tons of agents that go, you know, Bernie, I mean, I can't believe you're making that kind of money off of Zillow. You know, I didn't have much success. Well, the reason they're not getting the success, Mike, that they're looking for is because they're not tracking it at the level they need to. And if you're going to invest three quarters of a million bucks or a half a million bucks or a quarter million bucks, whatever your budget is, you better know exactly where all of that money is going out, how much is coming in, and what the return and profit is. Wise words to do all the tracking. When you mentioned that there are three agents posted on a page, is there anything that you're doing to make yourself stand out so that you're getting more responses than the other two agents? Yeah. I mean, I think if you go to my Zillow page right now, I'll probably have 130, 140, 150 reviews on there. Of course, we'd love to get that as high as we possibly can. So reviews are really important. Reviews are telling the consumer that other people are responding to the effort and work that you do. And so the people that are shopping around really look for reviews. They're going to typically call or reach out to an agent that has, let's say, 140 reviews or 240 reviews versus only 25. So reviews are really important. The second thing, which is why I like Zillow the best over like Realtor.com and some of the other ones, is the second thing that I think is really important is it shows your last 12 months of home sales. So I haven't looked at mine in months, but the last time I looked, I think it was like 240, 260 past sales in the last 12 months. So however it calculates and whatever it is it does to calculate those numbers, that is something that when a consumer is looking online and they say, okay, here's an agent's got 140 reviews and he has 240 recent sales in the last 12 months versus one that has four reviews and three past sales, which one do you think they're going to want to call? Sure. It's really important that you keep the reviews up. It's really important that you respond to those reviews, that when people review back, that you actually respond back to them. So it creates a little bit of a dialogue that the consumer can go out and actually read that information. And it's important that those numbers are as high as possibly can be. Now, one of the things that some of your callers may not know about, and that is as you continue to grow your Zillow business, Zillow rewards agents on discount. So because of the amount of dollars that we're spending, we're paying less per lead than a lot of agents who are spending, let's say, two or 3000 
at our volume number, we're getting big-time discounts because Zillow recognizes the effort and the amount of money we're paying. And so they give us cost per lead flow. The cost per lead is less just because of the volume number of money we're spending. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Bernie, you mentioned that reviews are really important and especially to have a lot of them. How does an agent go out and get the review? How do you get your client or customer to put a review out there on Zillow or anywhere else? Mike, that's such an important question because it's the thing I think for myself and my team early on, this was one of the most difficult things. And, you know, you have to research this stuff, figure out, you know, how can we make this happen? But anybody can send a review in for you for any reason whatsoever. So in other words, if you worked with somebody, you showed them a house or two, and they didn't buy, you had a good relationship with them, they chose not to buy. They can actually do a review for you and say, hey, I worked with Steve. Steve showed me three houses. He was a great agent. Just wanted to let everybody know what an awesome agent he was, right? So people, what they do is they can go on to Zillow and click on the review on the page and write a review, whether they bought a house, sold a house, showed a house, talked to them on the phone. For any reason whatsoever, anybody can put a review on Zillow, good or bad. So just understand that's how it works. Once it's on there, it's on there. It doesn't come off, right? Zillow doesn't pull bad ones off very often. So, but, uh, your listeners have to understand that it doesn't have to be just a sale. It can be for any action, real estate related conversation, showing houses, buying houses, selling houses, anything like that. And I want to encourage them to get as many reviews as possible because it is a key factor. Even I was blown away, like I was up at the Zillow conference about a month ago and one of the gentlemen there had over 800 reviews. And his goal was to get to 1,000. And I'm sitting there going, I got like 140, 150 on mine. I'm going, oh my gosh. I mean, I know how difficult it can be. But it's something that if you're going to run a Zillow business, that's something you absolutely have to start focusing on is getting those reviews up. And how do you get those up? Do you ask your client or customer or the person that you worked with to go in? Do you do it on the phone? Do you send them out a letter requesting that they do it? Send them an email with a link to it? How do you get them to actually do the review? Yeah. Okay. That's a good question. So what we do is once the house goes under a contract, so it's either a buyer or it's a seller. So let's assume it's a buyer, right? Typically, I don't ever work with the buyers or anything like that. So my team does it. So what we do is once the house is under a successful contract, then the piece of paper shows up on my desk or my operations manager's desk. And it says, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, have just purchased a home or just bought a home on 123 Banana Street. I'll know they worked with my agent, let's say Raymond, and I'll call them up and I'll say, you know, Mr. Miss Smith, this is Bernie Gallarani with Remax. You were kind enough to work with my agent, Raymond, on allowing us to help you purchase your home on 123 Banana Street. And I wanted to thank you so much for that. So we have small dialogue. And then I'll say, you know, I want to ask you if, if you can give me some feedback of how the relationship went on with you and Raymond. How did it go? Blah, blah. So they'll, oh, I loved Raymond. I thought Raymond was great. I mean, what a great agent. Blah, 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 right? 
once I get that kind of response, which I typically get on most of my buyers, I'll say, you know, Mr. Mrs. Smith, I need to ask you a big favor. Would you mind sharing your testimonial if I sent you a link for us to post on Facebook so other clients can see it that are looking for a home and may potentially get an opportunity to work with Raymond? And they'll say, oh, absolutely, we'll do it, no problem, love it, just send us the information. And then we have, Mike, a template. And again, my operations manager does the same thing, so he'll now share that responsibility. We'll send them a template, and that template is a link for them to go in, and they click on it, and they can fill out all of the Zillow information, right? So I'll say, would you mind if I sent you a quick email with all of the information? It's a pretty much, it's a click, point and click, pops up. Yeah, Bernie, that'd be great. So happy to do it. Anything we can do to help you guys. And then on that email, Mike, I also have four or five testimonials from other folks that have filled out reviews to give the client, the buying client, an idea of some of the things that other people are saying. Because some of the people said they go, hey, worked with Bernie Gallery and a team, they were great. And then that's it, right? Well, you all want more than that. You know what I'm saying? So we give them a template in there. So they can read some of those other things and get some ideas of some of the things they would like to say on the review. That's really, really smart to give those sample testimonials. I was wondering if you pre-wrote the testimonial, which you're not doing, but you are giving them a sample so that they can see what to put in. I think that's great. Yeah, all we do is we copy and paste three or four or five of those off Zillow that somebody else had written, and we just copy and paste that on that template, and that's what goes out to them. Do you put a mix in there of short ones, long ones, detailed ones, and quick ones? How do you figure it out so that you hit all the different personality types? Yeah, so we have some that are drivers, some analytical, some amiables, right? All personality, different structures. So we have ones that we've picked from different people. Sometimes they'll say, I'm a CEO of this company, or I'm a doctor, or we give some of the impressive ones that from of our higher-end clients. Sometimes we get the drivers in there that say, love working with them. I wouldn't work with anybody else, right? John Smith. And you're like, okay, well, that's a short one, but I love the wouldn't work with anybody else. Sometimes you get the amiables and they'll talk all emotional and, and how they felt and about their life and about their story and how this agent or myself helped them. And so you want to put different things on there so it can relate or push the button to the person who's reading it. If you're doing these team leader follow-up calls to ask the person that requests them to put a review on Zillow. Is that the only thing that you're doing? Are you also maybe sending out letters or emails or anything else? Or is it just mainly that call that you're making? We make that call in regards to the lead itself and the reviews. The review. It's that phone call, the review. Yeah. It's that phone call with that review. And then if I make the call or my operations manager makes it, then he will follow up. I don't do the follow-up, but he will follow up with that client. And if they did fill it out. He actually calls them every like three or four days until they do or until they just refuse to do it. In other (laughs) words, most everybody will say they'll do it, but to actually get them to do it is a lower percentage. So if 10 people tell you they'll do it, you're going to get three or four of them that will. It's not that they aren't willing to do it, but everybody's willing to say, yeah, I'll do it until they actually have to sit down at a computer and take time out of their own busy life to actually do it. And so we find that a lot of them are happy, but to take the time to fill it out is a whole other story. Bernie, you also mentioned on internet leads that you're generating leads from Google AdWords. What are you doing there? We spend a small budget right now, about $1,000 a month, 
on Google AdWords, and we close about 2% of that business annually. So let's say we get 1,000 leads a year. We are closing 2% of those transactions. So, but spending $1,000, so I got a $12,000 investment for a sixty-five dollars or $70,000 return. The challenge with AdWords, and so what they are is they're just basically Google tag words, right? Homes for sale in Hendersonville, Lake Homes for Sale, which I live in a lake community. So Lake Homes for Sale, Homes in Nashville for Sale, those kinds of things. So we get a lot of inquiries about that, Mike, but the conversion percentage on those is low, but the cost for the lead is also low, right? So if I'm spending, let's just say, 100 bucks a lead on Zillow, I'm spending 10 bucks a lead, let's say, on AdWords. So the cost is low. You're pushing a lot more leads around, let's just say, a lot more work. So if you say, well, gosh, Bernie, for 100 leads, let's say I got a 6 or 7% conversion percentage on Zillow, and I got a 2% conversion percentage on AdWords, I've really got about a 60 to 70% lead cost on AdWords. I got 100% lead cost on Zillow. But the challenge with it is the work involved with the agents is so much more, which is why we don't advertise as much on it. It's there, but we get about 600 leads per month right now for buyers for our six showing agents. So there's plenty of leads in there for them. If we have more agents, we can invest more in AdWords, but we would probably consider investing more in Zillow first before we balanced any more money out to the AdWord campaign. You brought up a really interesting point. What is the conversion percentage on those Zillow leads? Is your conversion percentage the 6 to 7%? On Zillow, it depends on what agent is working it. The better agents have a better conversion. You know, it's like anything else, right? I mean, I love Jim Rohn used to say, if you're trying to get everybody to be a 10, you're going to kill yourself, right? Some are going to be a 10, <laughs> some are going to be an 8, some are going to be a 6, and some are going to be a 4, right? And that means in production. And so I have agents right now that are converting 12% on Zillow. I've got agents that are converting 11% on overall all leads on Zillow, including AdWords included, where AdWords are part of their lead box, let's say. Or I've got other agents that are converting 4% and 3.5%. And it seems to be that the agents that have been around for two years or more have a higher conversion percentage, obviously. They're learning the skills. So I want to add this so you guys understand this too. Every one of my agents have to show up in the morning at 8.30 to role play and practice and then prospect or lead follow-up for two hours from 9 to 11. And I don't control that based on you have to be here. I control that based on leads that they get. So if they're not here, they get set off on leads for the day. Everybody has to be here to get leads. So the effort that they all put forward to become better at skilled at their job, year one is they're an apprentice and year two, they're more skilled and year three, they're pretty high producing agents at that point. And that's all coming from the practice, the skill, the showing up, the role playing and the lead follow-up time that then takes their conversion percentage from three or 4% up to six or 8%. So I'm going to answer your question here that you asked. If they're a new agent at one year, they have to have a 4% conversion. That's what we work on. Year two, they have to have a 6% conversion. My year three and four and five-year agents that have been here are all converting between 6 and 11%. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of role-playing and scripting, and I assume that the agents that are hitting that 11 12% conversion, they're the ones that are making their calls every day. They're doing all their follow-up. Correct. So 
most of these agents aren't prospecting outside expires or anything like that. Most of them are just following up on the leads we give them. So we call that lead follow-up time, where my time might be prospecting time or lead generation time. Their time is called lead follow-up time, which is the same time. We just have a different name for it, right? Because they're just following up with the lead. So they make between 25 and 30 contacts every day. So what they do is every week, they'll make a business plan of how many contacts they want to make. And typically, we have them put about 100 contacts or conversations, new conversations that they have to have every single week. And then that's reported into the ops manager and the ops manager then coaches and trains them on that. And then if their conversion percentages are low, we work with them every week on why they think that is, correct them on some issues that they may have so we can all become more successful. As far as I go though, let me share this with you. I prospect with them every day. So I'm in here for three to four hours every day prospecting my leads. So I'm still doing the same thing they're doing. So we're showing them you know, I'm the most successful agent in my town and they get to work side by side with me selling houses. So they get to see how I'm doing it. They hear me on the phones. They hear me role playing and prospecting. I role play prospect. I have role play partners. So I'm really doing like what they're doing to make them successful. So we don't really tolerate the excuses that some others have. Like I was sitting with an agent recently, a few weeks ago in California when I was at that conference and he had 68 agents. And I said, 68 agents, that is crazy on his team. And he says, yeah, but only about 25 or 26 of them are doing anything. And I said, well, what are the other ones then doing? He says, well, they're not doing much. And I said, well, then why have them? doesn't make any sense to keep an agent that's not working. So our philosophy is you're going to work, you're going to make a bunch of money, you're going to convert these leads. And if you choose you don't want to do that kind of activity, then there's plenty of other offices that you can hang your license in. But in our office, we work. And you're leading by example. You're showing them every day you're actually doing it right in front of them so that they can see what they need to do as well. That's exactly right. And I believe that the more I do it in front of them and the more appointments I set, I come back and say, hey, I took this listing yesterday, took this one, called this one. And not only are they hearing me do it, but they're seeing me do it. They're seeing me go out, bring these listings back. They know that I'm working side by side. I'm not one of these kind of owners of this team that sits there and goes, you know, guys keep selling. I'm going to go hang out at the pool or I'm going to sit in my office all day and try to do some other things. I'm out working side by side. And what I have found is they still have to have somebody that's running the team, which is what Kurt, my ops manager, does. But he can get paid significantly less money than it would cost me to run the team. If I ran the team, I'm going to be taking away my personal income. And at average commission check of 10 grand on my personal end, I'm taking a big time financial haircut if I stop selling. And so I can pay my operation manager to do everything I'm doing. And all I'm doing now is leading by example, letting them see what I'm doing. So I'm kind of their coach in action. And I guess to still make all the money. Well, Bernie, let's, let's do this. Let's move to a different lead source that you're working. Uh, sounds like something you've had a success with for a long time and that is expired listings. It was about 20% of your business last year. What are you doing with expired listings? Well, Mike, the expired business in my market is really low right now because the inventory at the lower end, the under, let's say, $400,000 price point, they're typically selling. So what we're doing at this point is we're still focusing on the expired business. But remember, expired listings used to be 70% of my business up until about five years ago. And it has slowly started to slow down. 
because the market has had a shift. Now, the good news is it'll all come back. You and I both know what goes up must come down, right? So we're practicing our skills at this point for what's about to come. I'm spending where I used to spend about three hours on the phone calling expireds and canceled listings. Now I'm spending about 30 to 40 minutes on that. I'm spending the rest of my time calling sale by owners. And I'm spending a lot more time calling past clients a center of influence. One of the mistakes that I made early on, and I want all your listeners to know, as I was selling 80 houses, 100, 120, 130 houses, whatever it was, I was neglecting my past clients. I was a hunter. I got a thrill for the kill. I wanted to go out and convert an expired into a listing. And that's where all of my time went. Well, when the expired business started to diminish a little bit, I then was resorting to go back into my center of influence, my past client base, and try to reconvert those people, right? People I hadn't spoken with for a long time. So that is, I'm putting kind of a Band-Aid over this wound of neglect for my past client center of influence. So I spend about two hours every day on that now in replace of what I was calling expireds because there's just not enough of them to call. I'm really just calling the above $400,000 ones because anything under $400,000, if it's not selling, there's a reason why because everything in this market typically below four hundred k is selling. So if it's a three hundred dollars or a two fifty dollars and it's showing up as an expired, what I have paid attention to this last year is it's happening because there's something else going on with the property. So I've just diverted my time a little bit more onto the higher end stuff and it's paying off. I mean, I'm taking a lot more listings at that million dollar price point now. I'm one five, sold a couple, sold three of them at two million bucks this year. So it's been lucrative, but just not as many listings are being taken because there aren't as many in that marketplace that'll sell. Let's talk generically. You've been doing this for almost a decade here, calling expired. So let's talk about your approach. Is it only phone calls? And if so, what are you saying when you call? So I'm an old school guy, right? I'm Mike Ferry. Everyone says Mike Ferry's old school. So I'm an old school guy. So I'm just calling them up. Their home's come up on the computer system as an expired listing. They're going to answer the phone. Mike, and I'm just going to say your home's come up on our computer system as an expired listing. And I was calling to see when you're planning on interviewing the right agent for the job of selling your property. And then they're going to give you whatever objection they're going to give you. Keep my agent. I'm not selling, whatever it is. And then from there, we have a script. And that is, if you sell the home, where are you moving? How soon do you need to be there? They're going to answer those questions. What do you think stops your home from selling? They're going to give you that. How to pick the last agent you uh, list home with? What are the agent do you like best? What are you going to expect from the next agent you choose? And then my close is, I'd like the opportunity to apply for the job of getting your home sold. Are you familiar with the techniques that I use to sell homes? That's pretty easy. The rest of it from there is more difficult because then the objections come in. And what I find is this. If they're motivated, they'll listen. If they're not, they won't. So I try to say this to the people that I, I, like I told you, I've been a Mike Ferry agent a long time and I get the opportunity to talk to so many MFO agents at Mike's events. And I always say this, motivation in the seller is the translator between what you say and what they hear. Let me break that down with you so you understand what that means. How I look at this is if I'm speaking to an expired unmotivated person. It doesn't matter what I say, how I say it. It doesn't matter if I'm selling a gazillion houses or I'm selling two, unless there's pain associated with their effort and what they're going through. They're not hearing anything I'm telling them. It's like Snoopy. Remember 
know how old you are, but uh, Snoopy used to go, wah, 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 right? Remember that? Sure. So that's really what it is, is they're hearing all of this and they're not paying any attention to the value. When there's motivation there, the value starts to kick in for them and they are listening with a little bit keener ear. And then you can say some things that can turn that corner. So expireds are the things I usually hit in the morning early. Then I'll go right to my cancels or withdrawns. Then I'll go to my past client center of influence. Then I'll go check in with my for sale by owners who I call every day. And then if I have to, I'll do around some neighborhoods at certain price points. And then every afternoon I'm on listing appointments and or I go knock doors. I'll typically go knock between three and 10 doors a day, depending on where they're at and where I am and what my schedule looks like. Very good. Now, with expireds, you mentioned that sometimes you'll get objections, or often you will. What's the most common objection you hear? You've talked to a lot of different expireds over the years. Well, I'll tell you what. There's all sorts of different things you hear, but I will tell you is I'm going to keep my same agent as always probably the number one thing. When you hear that, what do you say back? Well, I have to ask them what they found in value. So what I'll do is I'll say things like, I say, well, you know, I'm just going to keep my same agent. I'll say, great, well, what do you think has stopped the property from selling? And they'll give me whatever excuse they give me. And I'll say, you know, it's really interesting that I heard that you're saying that there weren't any buyers in the market over the last six months. And yet in the last 30 days, I was able to close 37 homes just like yours. I'll say this, you know, Mr. Seller, if you absolutely knew you were 100% convinced that it wasn't the market that was the problem, but it was the marketing approach that was being used on your property. Would you feel you owe you and your family a second opinion? Remember this, Mike, they're going to listen if they have motivation. They find value in your words. If they don't have motivation. You know, I used to have a coach from MFO. They used to say, well, Bernie, you know, you don't invite a vacuum salesman over to your house unless you're willing to buy a vacuum. I said, well, that's true. Don't put a sign in your yard unless you want to sell. And that's true too. But sometimes, and I'll use it as an example, I just came back from the Anthony Robbins event a month ago and it was great. And he says, you know, you have to have leverage. There has to be a reason why you want to make a change in your life. People can go on diets all day long. I'm going to diet this week, but we all know diets don't work, right? It's a lifestyle change. It's an eating habit change. You got to make a commitment that you're no longer going to stuff your face full of junk food. So this has to be a decision that the pain is deep enough, just like the people who go out and lose 100 pounds, the pain is deep enough that they're willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And I have found that to be no different than calling an expired. And by the way, the same with the for sale by owner is a lot of agents will say things like, Bernie, how do you turn this person around and they'll role play this with me? I'm like, you can't turn that person around. Well, why not? Because there's not enough motivation behind it. So I want to say this to anybody who's listening, calling expireds. Really dig for the motivation. Mike Ferry has always said, find their motivation and it'll solve all of your problems. Once you find the motivation, you'll know how to ask the right next question. But if you're just asking questions to ask questions, so for example, the house come over, like, what do you think stops your home from selling? Well, I don't really know. The market's really bad. And they forget to ask how they chose the agent. Well, how'd you pick the last agent you list the home with? Well, it's my mother. It's my daughter. You're not going to win that battle. So you got to find out that right away before you go on, because it's really tough to overcome their mother's the listing agent. <laughs> it sure is. Well, Bernie, last question on expires real quick. If you were to call up 10 expires and pursue them, how many of those would turn into appointments on average? 
a lot different now than used to be. I used to set a listing appointment on expireds about every nine to 11 calls in that range. Today, I set an expired listing about one every 65. Wow. Because the market has changed so much, it's just super challenging. So I'm going to answer this question and give you an average number. The key is follow-up, right? Mike Ferry has always said 70% of your business comes from lead follow-up. And that has been something for years that I've always heard Mike say, and yet I've been able to be strong enough on the phone that I could usually close them for an appointment about, let's just say, one every 10. Let's make an average of one of every 10. But the key now is follow-up. Today, if they tell me, Mike, that they are not selling their house, they're going back to the same agent, they hang up on me, whatever it is, every single lead gets a follow-up call two, three, four, five times, depending on what the second call is, depending on what the third call is, that kind of thing. So I no longer take any of that for granted. And what I'm finding is that I'm not able to close them like I used to on the first call, but typically I'm making much better ground on the follow-up process. The third, the fifth, the seventh, the 10th call, the 10th follow-up call, I'm starting to make some ground with them. So I want to encourage all of your listeners is if you're not closing them on day one, call them day two, call them day four, call them day eight, call them day six, because they're getting so bombarded with agents today calling them. If you're in a really hot market like I am, everybody they're saying no to. So you can't take what they say as face value. You've got to continue to stay following up with them. So thank you so much for walking us through expireds. I want to talk about your past clients, center of influence, repeating referrals. You brought up something very interesting. You said early on in your career, you neglected those folks, and that's a common thing that's happened. I'm accused of that as well. But you neglected your past clients, and then you were able to click back in. What did you do initially to go from, geez, I haven't talked to this person in three years, to now you're talking to them? How did you start the conversation up with them again? (laughs) Man, you know what? I mean, I can't even tell you how difficult that was. I mean, literally, I'd sell somebody a house three years, and I would never even call them to say thank you. And then all of a sudden, now you're calling him and saying, hey, can you refer business to me? Right? I mean, that's tough. And, you know, I've probably got 16, 1800 past clients right now after 12 years in the business. So there's lots and lots and lots of people. And the reality of it is this, when you start calling them and they're listing and selling their homes with other agents because you weren't there, it's tough. Like, you know, you're not going to get them all. Even if I had called them four times a year and gotten 25% of the people that said they listed it with somebody and sold it with somebody else or bought a house from somebody else, that still burns you. Think about how much money you typically lose on that. But my conversation was this, Mike, you know, I would say, Mike, this is Bernie Gallarani with Remax. They all typically know my name, right? I sold them their house. It's like you forget your realtor. And they'll go, oh, you know, hey, Bernie, how are you doing? I said, great. Hey, I was thinking about you, Mike. And I don't know if you know this, but you bought your house three years ago. And they'll go, yeah, you know, I know I bought my house three years ago. And I was looking at it. And did you know that your home value, since you purchased your home, has gone up 19% in your market? And they'll go, God, I didn't know that. No. And I wanted to reach out to you today and see, when do you plan on selling? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And then it usually creates a, oh, I'm never going to move here, whatever. And I learned that from my real estate coach through MFO. And what it did was it allowed me, instead of saying, I'm so sorry, I didn't call you, which is what I was originally doing. Hey, listen, here's your jerk real estate agent who never (laughs) called to say thank you so much. I I was feeling bad. I was 
throwing stuff on my own face and going, here I am, you know? And my coach goes, no, approach it this way. I was thinking about you because I came across and I realized you've owned this home three years. And what I found was they were so receptive after not calling them for three years, four years, five years. They were so receptive. And I've actually seen such a huge turnaround in my referral business, even after not talking to them for so long. So now it's a priority. Now I call about 20 to 25 of them every single day. Now I've been doing this now for probably a year, three quarters of a year. So I call them every quarter, every 90 days I call my past clients. So now I've had two or three conversations with them or I've left two or three voicemails for them. So they all know I'm calling and they all know that I'm here. So it's much better making those calls now. But I would say to your listeners that aren't doing it, number one, do it. Number two, use whatever method you have that works. But that one I just shared with you is a really good one. And number three is they're not mad at you. They really aren't mad at you. And I used to think, God, they're mad at me. And they're not. They probably haven't even thought of you, right? Since then. <laughs> right. So just pick up the phone and call them and it's okay. And if they are not really receptive, then that's okay. Take them off your list. Don't call them again. But you'll find that 90% of them, and I'm not kidding you, nine out of 10 of the ones that I haven't spoken with for a long time were all like, Bernie, how you doing? How's the family? What's going on? What's going on business? How's real estate? Most of them were fairly receptive. Even the ones that sold their house with somebody else were still fairly receptive. So I want to encourage your listeners to consider that. Bernie, I like the approach you took. You provided data, value, information to them and, and spoke specifically about their property, how long it had been and what percentage it had gone up. That's a great approach. Now that you're in cycle, you said you're calling once a quarter, four times a year. What are those conversations like once you got the ball rolling? What are you saying each time you call up? It actually gets easier the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth call. Because what I was doing before is there's some clients that I've been speaking with for years that I feel comfortable talking to. And other ones that I didn't, I just pass them up and not call them until about three quarters of a year ago. Probably last year around this time, I made this decision that it wasn't going to happen any longer. And I was going to make a big, bigger commitment. So the conversation that I have now, I might call you up and go, hey, Mike, this is Bernie Gallarani with Remax. And you're going to say, hey, Bernie, what's going on? I'll say, well, here's my every 90-day call. I wanted to make sure everything was going okay with the property. And they'll go, yeah, everything's great and fantastic and good. And the kids are good. Yeah, kids are great. And, and I'd say, hey, you know, Mike, main reasons I'm calling is I want to know who you may know that is looking to buy or sell any real estate right now in this hot market. And remember, Mike, this is the same conversation I have with everybody. And they'll go, oh, well, you know, I don't really know anybody right now. And I'll say, okay, well, anybody at church or work or I know your kids are still playing soccer, right? Yeah, they're still playing soccer. Great. Anybody at the soccer field that's talking about or mentioning anything about buying or selling any real estate? And they'll go, no, but you know, you're my guy. And if I'm going to refer anybody, it's only going to be you. And I'll say, fantastic. And then I'll always end it with this. So when do you plan on moving? And they'll go, well, I just bought the house last year or 18 months ago or two years or five years or whatever. They're going to say, I'm not moving. Okay, I totally understand that. You consider up buying any investment properties right now. There's great opportunity for investments out there right now. Money is still really cheap to loan out and interest rates are great. And so have you thought about that? No? Okay, great. Well, if you know of anybody, please let me know. And then I might say at the end, hey, is there any for sale by owners or anybody on your street or when you drive home or anywhere you might be able to point out to me, I can go by and talk to them. No, no, but I don't really know anybody that's doing that or haven't seen anybody that's any for sale by owner signs. And I'll say, great. Well, if you ever need anything, please give me a call, and we hang the phone up, and I go to the next one. Well, you're planting a lot of seeds, though. You're giving them a lot of ideas of where they might actually know somebody who's thinking about buying, selling, investing. 
Well, you know, I mean, I learned from the MFO organization that our job every day, Mike, is to find somebody who's looking to buy or sell real estate. That's the first thing. That's rule number one. My job is to find somebody who's looking to buy or sell real estate today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, today. So that is my job today is to find someone who wants to buy or sell real estate. Something else I learned from the Mike Ferry organization about past clients, center of influence, is Mike always says, what group is larger? The group of people you know or the group of people you don't know? And the answer would be, Mike? It's the people you don't know. You don't know. So if the people you don't know aren't calling you, which they're not going to call you because you don't know them (laughs) and they don't know you, (laughs) so you have to reach out to them. Something else I learned from the MFO organization, which was, Mike says, every one of your past clients knows 200 people you don't know. So if you do the math, you have 100 past clients, 200 past clients. In my case, I have 1,600 past clients. If you have 200 people times 100 people, it's a lot more people than you know that don't know who you are. But the past client is your voice to letting everybody know they know that you're in the business. So I'm really putting myself in a position to lean on those folks for help in growing my business. Real quick, could you outline for us what you're doing over the course of a year with your past clients? Sounds like one, you're calling them four times a year, you're calling quarterly. Are you doing anything else? Are you mailing them anything or emailing them anything? Yeah, so they get emails bi-weekly, so twice a month. And they're typically either A, a market stat, B, they're getting something that was just sold recently. They might be getting something that is related to the area we live in, some function or something going on. So this happens every other week they get an email from us. Every quarter, they get a mail out. So they get something sent to their mail. It's either a card of some sort, what the housing market's doing, something going on, maybe some big company moving to Nashville. So we come up with, and my staff does all that for me. I don't even really see what goes out. Occasionally it'll pop in on my desk. They'll say, oh, you know, we just sent this one out. But all my staff does that stuff for us. So every quarter, we send our past clients something in the mail. Twice a month, they get an email. And then once every 90 days, they get a phone call. And if I'm adding everything up correctly, you have about 1,600 people in the database, about 37% of your business. So right around 100 transactions last year or so approximately one in 16 is resulting in a closed referral. That's not bad. Well, I'll tell you, Mike says we should be getting about 10% of our database in return business. So if you have 1,600 people, that'd be 160 deals, right? So we are still short by 60 transactions based on what Mike Ferry tells me I should be doing. So that is a result, those six deal. So let's just take, I'm just going to do some easy math for your listeners. We'll talk about just 60 transactions. Let's just say the average commission check is 8,000 times 60. That's 480,000 that I am actually leaving on the table because I'm not doing my past client center of influence correctly. That's a lot of money. I mean, I'm not sure if your listeners here don't think that's a lot of money, but to me, that's a lot of money. So I've got to figure out a way to capture up to 10% of that business, which is what Mike says I should have. So believe me, and that was really just focusing this last year on my past clients. It was probably much worse than that even last year, but we're really making strides 
at making that a priority in my company of better customer service during the process and after the sale so we can get that 10% come back to us on a referral base. You're building up to it. You said you've been doing it for just under a year. I think you're doing pretty good for just revamping it, restarting it. And I have a funny feeling you're going to get to that 10%. Bernie, let's switch gears here. Let's talk real quickly about the team and the team structure. You mentioned a little bit about the buyer agents, but could you do this for us? Could you map out the team? So I'm the lead listing agent, so I list all the properties. If the agents have a buyer that is listing a home, which is a small percentage, but if they do have that, sometimes they'll just give it to me and I'll go take it. Sometimes they'll bring it in. That end of it's pretty minuscule. I have six showing agents, so six buyer's agents, and myself as the lead listing agent. My wife is the broker of our office, so she cuts the checks and makes sure the money's correct and all that kind of good stuff. Kurt Friedrichs is our operations manager. He runs the sales team. He really runs the whole office. He's kind of the boss around here. Um, remember, I'm just a real estate agent, so I just sell like everybody else. He runs the whole team. He and I meet twice a week on Mondays at 11 o'clock for 30 minutes and on Fridays at 11 for 30 minutes. So we meet twice a week. I have a closing coordinator named Rachel. Rachel has an assistant to the closing side and our assistant to the closing side is also our runner and marketing person. We have a full-time listing manager and that person takes care of all the listing stuff. Um, She does all of my comparables, all my comps for me. She puts all the data information in on the listing inside the MLS. She organizes the stagers and the professional photographers. She calls all the agents for feedback and make sure that all that information is for my weekly calls. I call the clients every week, all my listing clients every week. And that's the team. So we've got six showing agents, myself, that's seven. Kurt, which is eight. Closing coordinator, which is nine. The closing coordinator has assistant, which is 10. And then there's Julie, who's my listing manager, which is 10. And then my wife, it's 11. Bernie, and I did a quick calculation based on last year. You had basically 22 closings per team member and 37 closings per producing agent. Although you've mentioned how you're doing a lot of that listing side, but that just kind of gives us some averages. Bernie, thank you for walking us through your team structure. The next question is this, what drives you? I grew up in HUD housing my entire life, government subsidized living. And my parents were divorced when I was four. I grew up in an apartment complex, an area that people don't want to grow up in. So I felt like my life was always better than my environment. I always felt like I had some special sales talent. I certainly wasn't the business owner at any level or anything like that. I've had to learn all that through the process of selling real estate. But I realized as I started selling real estate, Mike, that it was my way out of whatever I was in as a kid. And it was my way to push myself to the top of the pyramid based on where I came from personally and emotionally. And as my income grew, my personal income is over a million dollars a year after all my expenses. So I look at my life and I go, okay, this really shouldn't be where I came from. And, and so I think the thing that drives me, and I have so much focus and goals and the things that I want to create for the future. And it's not selling real estate every day, but it's really coaching and training agents to become better people, better agents, showing them how to be successful. And so we're really expanding this model to a much higher level as the future goes on. So the thing that drives me the most is that I believe 
in our industry, in real estate itself, I think it really has a lot of dysfunction in it. And I think that it has a lot of dysfunction in it based on the broker owners that operate a lot of these companies and don't really help these agents grow to their potential. And the agents really aren't at fault. It's really the leadership at the top of the organization. So the broker owners of these companies that sit there and go, well, you know, here's your desk, here's your phone, see you later. I'm not a believer in that. And Mike Ferry taught me that years ago that there's such a huge dysfunction and that if somebody came in and led them to believe that they were better than the industry shows them that they should be, that you could really make great realtors. And that's all we're trying to do. So that's my passion is to continue to keep selling because I enjoy that and I like the money. Like I said, I'm a little greedy there. But I also like to see the agents succeed at a high level. And so my biggest passion is seeing their success. And as long as I can be around them and see them grow through the methods and training and buying them leads and coaching them and focusing on rate of return and kind of sharing with them that nobody will ever teach them if they're not on a team structure like ours, then I'm fully blessed and I'm complete. And if I can continue to keep pushing these people and seeing them grow, that's all I could ask for. Well, Bernie, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I'm going to probably give a different answer than maybe you'd expect, but I would say they need to get into some form of coaching or some sort of a team leadership program because to do it on your own is very difficult. And what I mean by that, Mike, is as you well know, you've been interviewing agents forever. 80% of most agents will fail within 18 months. And it's not because they don't have the ability, it's just that they have the poor leadership. So I would say this, they need to get involved with either some sort of a team structure that can help them become more successful quicker. And it's okay to lean on that support. Number two, get involved with some form of coaching because that was it for me. I signed up for coaching one month before I started selling real estate. So I started in January of 2015 and I signed up for the MFO organization in December before January. So I did that because I knew that there was going to be, I didn't know what I was doing in real estate. Like most agents that get in the business don't know what they're doing. So I just allowed myself to be a coachable and realized I didn't know what I was doing and I needed help. And so that launched my career and this year I'll sell 400 homes based on that model. I just got done explaining to you and, and making a bunch of money and I contribute all that to the leadership that I've had for 12 years. Well, Bernie, do you think the top agent interviews like this one with Mastermind Agent are valuable? What I love about what you're doing, Mike, is you just picked apart my whole business, right? I just shared with you what I'm doing. So it's not going to be a lack of information that your listeners are hearing from any one of these great agents that you're talking with. It's applying the methods that are going to be the challenge because we'll all make it sound like it's easy and it's never easy. It's difficult, but at least The platform that's being sent out to them right now is that they can achieve the things they want to achieve. They can do the things, they can have the life they want to have, but you got to change who you're hearing the information from. And things like this are allowing people to know, well, wait a minute, they're doing this, they're doing that, that's their conversion percentage. At least if it launches them one step forward, that's better than they were before. You just need more of this. You need more conversations with top agents. You need people to help you and guide you and care about you and push you forward. And as long as companies like this are putting this information out, these people need to get involved with it as much as they possibly can. 
Bernie, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I'd like to say this. I've learned this in not just 12 years of being with Mike, but 12 years of really absorbing myself and reading and being around positive thinkers and really focusing on people doing bigger things than I am. And that is find people that are doing more than you're doing. One of my coaches said to me when I first started my first month in the business, he said, whatever you do, stay away from all the realtors that aren't selling more than you. Well, at this point, everybody was selling more than me because I just started, right? So I'm like, well, that's pretty easy. I haven't sold any houses. (laughs) He says, what you'll find is some agents will sell four, some will sell six, some will sell eight, some will sell 10, some will sell 12. But those aren't the people you want. You want the ones that are selling 40, 50, 60. Those are the only ones you want to talk to. So what I did was I drew a line in the sand and said, I'm not focusing on eight or 10 or 12 deals. I'm focusing on 50, 60, 70 deals. So how do I go and become part of that mindset? So I searched out those people in my own marketplace, outside my marketplace, in other areas. And I learned all the small tricks so I could leapfrog over 10 and 12. I could leapfrog over 20 and 25. After my second year, I could leapfrog over 30 or 50. So to sell 400 homes a year, I think I've, I just looked at my numbers. I think I'm at 127 closed and pending for the year right now. And we're the 24th of, what is it, April. The good news is there's a lot of great people that are going to share a lot of great things with agents who are willing to apply the information. Go find the people who are doing the business and don't listen to anybody who's not positive and is not behind your dreams and goals. Well, Bernie, getting people into your support system is great advice. Your early focus on prospecting and lead generation resulted in a fast start, selling 34 homes your first year. You continued to build your personal production while you built a second income stream with your sales team's production. You split your revenues and expenses between your personal and team production to verify that your team was actually making a profit. The result has been an incredible net income and a validation of your success. I can't wait to see where you take your business next. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 244 homes last year worth $80 million by focusing on people he knows. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast.
And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to success calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.